everybody. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise, everybody, and this is Debbie coming to you from Lake Worth, Florida. I'm back from my grand adventures in Hawaii, which was a beautiful day in Hawaii, and Texas, and it's perfect for a setup to this discussion today because I was on a grandma duty visit to Hawaii and to Texas, and I came home totally exhausted with a bad cold, and I, I'm not going to attribute it to being busy, busy with the kids, but it was, according to my father, Dr. Jack. Anyway, this is fun because my guest today is a friend of mine that I met a few years ago when we were on a book tour. His name is Keith Jowers, and he is one fabulous dad, actor, author, coach, former first responder, so many things. I'm looking at his pictures just going, oh my gosh, this man has reinvented himself multiple times. So Keith Jowers, welcome to Stand Up and Speak Up. Well, thank you, Debbie, but I think the interview would be better if you just tell us about Hawaii. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> well, back. Hawaii is great. I was there last summer, and it was, it's Hawaii in August and September. It's sunny and hot and beautiful. In December, it's rainy and cold. And oh my! <laughs> if you're going to visit Hawaii, if you want to see the big waves on the North Island of Oahu, you go right now. But if you want to have Deborah's ice cream in Honolulu, Dave's, I think, then you go in August. It was beautiful, and my son is there for a couple of years, and it's been fun to go visit. But it's a long trip to go from a beach yes. to a beach. We have been there years ago, but I'm I'm been itching to go back. So. Well, well, thank you for having me on today. I'm so excited, Keith, because you and I just clicked. And I, you know, I'm thinking about it, and we probably met in Miami with uh, Desiree Lee and did a book launch. Um, first time I'd done it, and I'm going to, like I told you before, we go back to who you are, where you came from, your family situation. So I want to know a little bit about your background, Keith, because I, that part I don't know. Where did you grow up, and how was your family life? Well, thank you, Debbie. You know, it's interesting that you meet a lot of people and you say, oh, I was from there, or, you know, uh, they moved from another part to where you're at. Well, I'm one of those people that actually just stayed here. <laughs> I've never really moved or lived anywhere else other than a few months here and there um, uh, with the military when I was in the Air Force uh, Reserves. But I I actually grew up here in North Florida, and um, my dad died when I was 11 years old. I am the the last four boys. We had lost uh, one of my siblings prior to my dad passing, 
And my dad uh, passed at 40 years old. I was 11 years old. Died behind me one night uh, back in 1969. And I just kind of took the mantle. My brothers were much older than me. So I just kind of took that mantle of being the man of the house at 12 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old. And I started taking care of my mom. Took care of my mom, uh, who never really had a lot of uh, income, never really, um, you know, had, had a big size wealth or anything like that. And I took care of mom for 46 years. And uh, the way I see it and anything she needed, I pretty much handled for her. And I took care of her for all those years until she passed in my arms on Thanksgiving Day, uh, nine years ago this past Thanksgiving. Um, so when I got old enough, I, of course, I wanted to quit school. She said, you would never do that. <laughs> I, I started playing music and gotten some rock bands in the 70s and played disco and, and rock and roll and that kind of thing. And then realized, well, I don't think I'm going to be able to um, go on with this, this lifestyle for a career. Uh, so I decided I would go in the military, but then I had to do something that they didn't they wanted me to do, and that was cut my hair. So my hair had grown out a little bit. And I, I just went in the military, but I, I wanted to do it part-time because I wanted to take care of my mom still and not be gone for a long time. And uh, so, you know, I did it part-time, and I, I tried different careers, and then I went into law enforcement and found a really good niche for me in how I took care of, of – um, you know, other people helped them with their problems, but then it kind of got down to where I was helping kids. And for 20 years of my 30-year law enforcement career, I was blessed enough to work with children on a day-to-day -day basis. So that became my niche for a while. And uh, I really enjoyed it and wound up, uh, you know, just believing that 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 was going to be it for a long time, and then I realized it was time to retire. I'm going like, oh, my goodness. So but backing up, I, as a young adult, I got married, Debbie, and um, didn't realize that uh, a year and a half later I'd be a dad for the first time in my early 20s. And I, you know, thought I was doing everything right, and all of a sudden, three and a half years, my, my marriage has ended. But when I made a decision to walk out of that courtroom, I said, I will never leave my daughter. She might have divorced me, but I will never divorce my child. And for everything that she needed or, or, or I could help her with when she was growing up, I was there for her. And as I mentioned earlier, I'll be visiting them here at Christmas time. So now I have three grandchildren. It's just been a blast over the years. So um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. I was just a young divorced dad that never gave up, and that's what led us into starting uh, Dads for Life in 2004. And here we're still going strong as a nonprofit and trying to encourage, enhance, and enrich dads in what we consider the greatest asset on earth, and that's their children. Well, I, I just honor what you're doing, and thank you for your service to begin with. But thank you for the Dads for Life, because as I said earlier, too, I've just gotten back from doing grandma duty, and my son is married. Um, he and his wife are both military officers, but they go on deployments. They go on TDYs, temporary duties, and, you know, they're, Chris was home by himself with the two kids. It's very difficult. Uh, then I get to Dallas, and my daughter is a single mom. And so I'm living these things. And as a grandparent who grew up in the 
normal, uh, well not normal, but the, the traditional typical family back then with mother, dad and all that, I'm seeing how difficult it really is uh, for single parents these days and for the children. I, I see the grandkids having to go back and forth and, and what I was really honoring you for was that commitment to not leave your daughter because you divorced. I see that happening in families where you know the dads just figure, well, I'm done, and have very little with the kids except having to pay child support. It's the median they could do. But that really affects the kids. So Keith, um, you said the impetus for this was your own experience. How was it being a single dad for those years? Your daughter, how old was your daughter when you, when you divorced? She was um, a year and a half. A <laughs> little. And uh, I was just like, uh, I was just like frozen in time, basically, because I wanted to be a dad, even though um, you know, I was young. I still wanted to be a dad. But I knew what it was like, Debbie, growing up without a dad, even though my dad had died at 40 years old. And I knew what it was like. And um, I, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to, to other kids in the neighborhood because I was so focused on my mom, taking care of my mom, that kind of thing, and trying to stay out of trouble. <laughs> but when, you, when I was my own divorce, when I was a single dad all to myself, I was thinking, how am I going to do this? But every little bit of money I made back in the early 80s <laughs> went towards helping my daughter. You know, I might have gone without eating, but of course my mom wasn't going to let me do that. But I might have gone without eating if it took that to pay my child support so I could still see my child. <clears throat> and it was just tough. It was just tough. But she didn't know that, you know, a divorce had happened. She didn't know why dad wasn't there every day. Uh, she only knew that when we were together, she kind of was excited, you know, and I, I was just having fun as a dad with her, just like I wouldn't be if I was there every night. But it broke my heart as a dad not to see my daughter every single day. And I rehashed some of those thoughts back in 2000, 2001. And then, uh, of course, uh, I, I was very, very... Um, uh, concerning of, of how I was feeling, rehashing some of those memories. But I wound up writing a book, uh, which I didn't know anything about writing a book, but uh, I wrote one called Part-Time Dad, Full-Time Heart. But then I wanted to make that connection for life, so that's what I subtitled that book as. And it just had things in there that, that I remember doing or thinking about or or getting encouraged by uh, during those difficult times when she was young. Can I go back to when you lost your dad? Because um, I'm re recalling what my kids went through when, when Lou passed away. The youngest was 15, and that was the most difficult for him, I think. You, do you feel like you didn't have a childhood? You say you were thrown into being the man of the house. Where were your siblings at that point? Were they out of the house, around, or... You were just so much smaller than me. One was five years older, so he was in his mid to late teens. And then I had one that was uh, 10 years older. Oh, so And you we had okay. lost the one between my, my middle brother and me. We had lost him as an infant. 
prior to me, uh, prior to my brother actually being born, and then I came along five years later. So we were all spread out. So, you know, it's been said, I've heard it said that every five years, it's like, you know, there's a new, you know, uh, a, a different child, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of proven to be true. <laughs> but um, I just, I know that that not having my brothers, and they've kind of apologized as they've gotten older that they are sorry they weren't there. And I think the closest we were ever uh, at that time or not in life was when my mom was passing and I had to make a decision about hospice. They saw how much weight I had had on me all of these years and taking care of her. I mean, it, it, I couldn't go to work at 11, but I went to work at 12 and <laughs> delivered newspapers, you know. And any commission I got back in 1970, okay, I gave to my mom. Uh, she said, no, honey, this is your money. I said, no, mama, this is our money. <laughs> and so, uh, and she, I've never stopped working, Debbie, since age 12. <laughs> well, you remind Even me, you remind me, that story reminds me of Even my father. My my dad's yeah. dad passed when my dad was 20, and he'd start taking care of his mother, his aunt, and all of these older ladies, and it finally hit my dad in his mid-50s. The stress of all that over the years just unraveled, and that was really difficult for him because he, he, hadn't, he had just kind of absorbed all the responsibility as a young man, and you just do it because that's what you do. Um, did you have any experience where you know maybe a sort of a little meltdown and, and just had to say, got to get that out? And, and maybe that experience with your brothers was important because they finally realized what you had done. Uh, yeah, the stress of it was it was very very heavy, Debbie. And uh, but you know when it really hit me, I didn't realize it, but it really hit me when. Uh, when mom passed, mm-hmm. and Thanksgivings have never been the same for the last nine years. Yes, I'm with my family. Yes, I'm eating dinner or that kind of thing. But it's still Thanksgiving, and it still brings back that memory of mom dying. So, yes, I I remember, I mean, with all that, I didn't know it as a kid. I didn't know it as a teenager because I was working hard. There was one time in my early uh, late teens, I had four to five jobs, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I was just going, 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 and then, then it happens, you know, that here it is, now you're in your 30s, and you're in your 40s, and you're in your 50s, and I used to think 50 was old, I don't think that no more, <laughs> um, but <laughs> I, I think that when I look back at that, you know, all that, it really hit me nine years ago when mom died. Because I wasn't going, I wasn't buying our groceries every Saturday, I wasn't doing the things that I had found myself doing because mom couldn't do them anymore. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that stress is very, very important, and and I've learned now that I should have dealt with it back then. (laughs) You know, sometimes we kind of of put off to the side what we don't want to um, actually – be honest enough to admit to ourselves sometimes. <laughs> well, it, it reminds me of uh, my, my guest last week was um, Ken Sargent. He's, a, he's actually was cooking with Kenny, and I think you and I talked about that. It was really so much fun. 
But he felt that same way after uh, leaving the military after 16 years, when he retired from the military, having the daily discipline and the routine and those kinds of things, which I'm like that too. You know, we have we have our our routine. When that get when that gets disrupted, what do you do? You know, it's like you taking care of your mother, and then all of a sudden that responsibility is not there anymore. So what do you do? You know, how do you change your life? And, it, and it's very difficult. But when when you were younger and dad wasn't there. Were, did other men step in as mentors? Were there any father figures for you then? Honestly, I, I passed up a couple of mentors. And what I mean by that is that they were there if I had to ask for help. Mm. One of them being my grandfather. Even though we had our chats, we didn't. He had lost, he and grandma had lost three children at that point. So he was holding it all in himself, you know. So, but Grandpa was awesome. I talk about it on in uh, a blog I wrote this on my website called Studio 425 and how it came about that I wrote that I called it Studio 425. Um, but Grandpa lived at 425, and uh, that was his address. So that's how that studio came about. Well, I knew Grandpa was very wise. I know that he was he cared about everybody, regardless of your race, regardless of your affiliation politically, regardless of anything he cared about you as a person and I look at back that now and I realize that and I think about some of the things that I've kind of you know done or got caught up in or didn't do right or something I said what would grandpa done I kind of because I know that grandpa would have been wise over those decisions so and then I had a, a man a gentleman that just passed away a few months ago that gave me kind of a, my really first start in jobs and I could have asked him questions, so I didn't ask. So I encourage men, listen, if there's somebody that you recognize as, and respect uh, as a leader or someone that you're kind of learning from, go to them. Don't wait on them to come to you. you know? And that's why I find a lot of myself today talking to men who just could encourage some child, whether theirs are older or they've never had children or there's a child somewhere, a church or somewhere in the community they could possibly encourage and help to go do that um, because mentorship's important. Um, but the only person I really kind of started following back in the 80s now, uh, first of all, not as a young adult, I mean, not as a child when my dad died, but when my, when my daughter, uh, when I went through that divorce with her, the only one I was following to learn anything from was uh, Dr. James Dobson, Focus on the Family. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I was learning a lot from him. So I started, once again, going after my own mentorship. And then as I got older, my young adults, and going into some sales jobs or whatever, I started following people like Zig Ziglar, which I became friends with, I mean, which is pretty awesome. But, I mean, I, I, I look to people that I can respect myself. So, uh, uh, because of their work in life, and but it's important. <clears throat> it's important when when a child dies. I mean, when a uh, parent dies, that a child finds someone to talk to, and the surviving parent should possibly help that child find that person, because we hold it in, and it's very hard for us to to progress along, Debbie. If we if we keep holding it in all of our lives, so. Um, Anyway, I hope that answers your question. No, it does. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going past, you know, I'm thinking of when, when Lou passed away, as the remaining parent, 
you're so overwhelmed with the daily things to keep the, the roof over the head and to keep food on the table and to keep working going. And sometimes, you know, I look back and, and I've apologized to my youngest and said, I wasn't the best mom at the time that I probably could have been, and I'm sorry. And he's like, Mom, you know, it wasn't your fault. Dad died. It wasn't your fault. Mm -hmm. But I, I did what I thought I was best. And then for me, you know, mm -hmm. things fell apart with the scam because I was looking for someone else to, to validate who I was, and I was not really paying attention to my son. And there were men that tried, like you in your life, that were there if he were to call on them. But at 10, 11, 12, 15, you don't call on other men. You know, you're sitting there thinking, mm -hmm. I wish that was my dad that was here yelling at me, even though he would mm -hmm. embarrass him at the football game. You know, you miss that part. Um, and then you start hanging, at least minded, start hanging with other people, other friends. And I'm thinking, well, they're from good families. And 20 years later, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, should have had a better handle on that one. But it, it, it's a tough situation. So you started the, um, well, you did the 35 years in law enforcement, mostly as a resource officer, which is really a cool job. I, when I worked in the school district, I loved the resource guys. They were so kind. And basically, you know, an additional father figure to so many children who who don't have dads, uh, significant dads. And so, you when know, you Debbie, start, yeah, oh, go sorry. ahead. Nope. No, I was just going to say, and you know that people today, they're only some of them, unless they know how that what policemen really do, they're only hearing what police what the bad decisions that policemen make sometimes, that's how they focus on all of us. And I know without a doubt, working around the men and women over the last 30-some years, I know that there are plenty of officers out there that truly care about their community. And when I had retired and was kind of dormant for seven years out of law enforcement, I saw all the media that was just tearing our profession apart. And that's when I looked at my wife and I decided, I said, okay, I'm writing two officer-friendly books because I want kids to understand what the truth is about policemen, not what the media tells them about policemen that we are. And it's important. It is so important because there are policemen out there that I've seen cry over the situations that they've been involved in simply because they're doing their very best to bring that community to healing, you know, especially when it involves a child. I mean, I've been in some situations I care not to ever go into again, but where adults made some very bad, terrible decisions that involve children. And um, it, it, it carries – I know about what it does to your mind as a child for the remainder of that child's life. I know <laughs> because when dad wasn't there and I was making decisions and mom didn't know how to make decisions for me sometimes and it just, you know, about friendships and who to hang with, who not to hang with, that kind of thing, it can lead a child astray. And uh, when adults make decisions that affect that child's future, uh, it really, really is damaging to the child sometimes if the child doesn't have somebody to talk to about it. So, so can you tell us a little bit about your books? What were the titles and how can people get a hold of them? I can. Well, I mean, 
I uh, I wrote one in '04. That was my first one, part-time dad, full-time heart. Then I wrote another one uh, about uh, working with parents. It's kind of a journal uh, to help parents make the connection for life because that's what I always encourage dads to, or parents to do is to make a connection. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of single moms and a lot of grandparents out there, and I even know some great-grandparents if it wasn't for their involvement with the child's life, the child wouldn't have a chance, you know. So I am, I have so many followers, Debbie, that are simply single moms. Mm-hmm. And one of them actually wrote me a note one time and said, the reason I follow you is because even though I'm not a dad, is I have to pull both roles. And that really hit me. It hit me because I see single moms that are doing their very best to do what they can to raise their children, you know, single-handedly. And and I I it, it just breaks my heart sometimes some of the stories we've heard over the years. So in in 2016 I wrote this daily connection. It was just kind of connections of what parents could do. Simple they could read it once one a day. You know it takes them through um, just daily ideas that could help them get through uh, a month, you know, and connecting with their child. And then, as I told you, I wrote two ulcer-friendly books back uh, when I heard all this mess going on about the media, you know, just trashing us as a profession. Um, I wrote those two books back in uh, 2016 as well. So it's, um, you know, not, not, I've got so many books in my mind, I just, have us sat down to write them all, Debbie. <laughs> well, it's just one page at a time. That's well, right. The officer, well, the officer friendly. Say, if you just write, yeah, Zig Ziglar used to say, if you just write 20 minutes a day, yeah, you know, that you're starting to run, it would help. So go ahead. Well, I, I really like the uh, the officer friendly books, and, and I think they ought to be in every school and every police department everywhere because, uh, you know, you guys do get a. Every, every profession has bad apples. We know that. But it's nice to right. hear about the good ones because we want the kids oh. to trust, especially at the elementary school levels, you know, where you have the, the officer friendlies. They're there. They're there for the kids, and the kids need to understand that. And it's unfortunate when they get it, you know, other people telling them sometimes at home uh, the opposite, and, and that's, that's a tough place for those kids. So Dads for Life was a foundation, a nonprofit that you started, and how are you getting out to the world? How are people finding you? I think it all just was organically. I mean, we just started, um, you know, just doing a few things here and there back in 2004. And, then of course, as the Internet continued to get more and more popular, you know, with the, just we started throwing some things out there. And then it just people are sharing the thoughts that people are commenting back to us, oh, we like that, you know. And, and I've had some people say, oh, I, I, in fact, I remember one in particular guy says, I just I just can't follow you. I said, okay, but he still follows me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the reason is because um, the court system and, uh, you know, the way the court system treats, and I can't, I can't speak for the court system because, oh, my goodness, some judges have made some bad decisions in recent years. But the, the, the thing about it is that you just have to keep fighting. In fact, I told a, a dad recently, well, I should have been last year, Oh, I've been working with him the last six, seven years, I guess. His adult children weren't talking to him because of a decision that he made to remarry after their mom died. And uh, I just talked to him, and I said, you know, bro, just keep pressing on, sending them birthday cards, your grandchildren, and all, and just keep doing it. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he calls me and told me that they, were, they wanted to reconnect with him. 
and that they had made mistakes. And I said, see, it's just persistence. I'm not, I'm not you know, persistence where nobody wants to deal with you no more. I'm talking about just, you just every now and then keep throwing that love out to them because love will prevail. Uh, eventually, over time, you know, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, people learn that after the person they have the argument with or the disagreement with have passed. And I always try to go daily without having any kind of uh, regret to where, you know, a relationship, a relationship that I might have damaged because I did something. And um, I, I just think that families get so torn apart over silly disagreements. And um, I worked with a lot of parents over the, with their children in the school system, and they would, they would finally realize when they get a third-party opinion, you know, they, they realize, oh, that's really stupid, <laughs> you know, that I made that decision. And, you know, Mom, Dad, I love you. And then they'd have to apologize to their own kid in my office and that kind of thing. So, No, I was going to say sometimes apologies say, think, are really difficult, but you've got to – we were talking in – um, but if you, if you can write one to yourself, that we had this uh, at the, the Society of Citizens Against Relationships Against Scars that I'm on the board of. We had a call one time, and we were talking about forgiving ourselves. And it, we're, it's usually the hardest thing to do is to forgive yourself. But if you can sit down and just write yourself an apology letter and say, you know what, I'm really sorry for what I did. And realize that mm-hmm. once you've got that, it's like, okay, I did something. Now let it go. I said something that I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry. Write it down. You know, and then let it go. And I, as I was working with my youngest son, he had had a disagreement with one of his siblings. And I said, all you can do is put it out there. Do your part. You're not responsible for how someone else responds. But you do your part to let it go. And that's difficult, especially for very empathetic people. You know, to, We all worry about what other people think a lot. And I think we waste a lot of time worried about what other people think sometimes. Uh, yeah, I mean, way, there's also a scripture in Ephesians 4.32 talking about compassion and goodness and to reconcile when you can. And I think it's so important that we do that. Life well, is that's short, really, Debbie. That's really important <laughs> with single parents, too, because you've got to be really, I'm looking at my, my daughter's situation, you have to be really careful that you might have been hurt badly and might be continually being hurt, which is not a good situation. But you've got to be careful what you say around the children because their listening ears are absorbing everything. And uh, I, I, I how do you deal with that, time. Keith? How do, how do you <laughs> encourage parents to be kind, especially in front of their children? Well, first of all, yelling doesn't get you anywhere. You know, I have a dear friend, Celia Kibler, and she's, she's on a mission to get a million parents to decide they're not going to yell at their kids, you know, and – and it's a big mission, but you know what? That's tough. She's doing it one parent. Yeah, she's doing it one parent at a time. But when you when you learn that, it actually takes you know when you lose control, they actually see what we do. They don't really listen to what we say sometimes, but they sure watch what we do. And if they feel like that's the way to you know respond, then that's the way they're going to respond back. Um, <clears throat> I. Parent, kids used to come to me sometimes in the office early in the morning or whatever, and, and I'd say, hey, what's up? You know, I miss somebody that's a police officer in my office because they knew I would never yell at them. Uh, they knew I would talk to them even if I disagreed with how they handle the situation or, or what they're thinking about or whatever doing. I, I would never yell at them. And they say, I just wanted to talk to somebody that wasn't going to yell at me. 
<laughs> and I'm going like, okay, what does that mean? He said, well, every, every morning it seems like mom and dad are arguing or whatever. And it's just, I just can't stand all that yelling and screaming sometimes. So uh, I said, well, you just sit here as long as you want. I said, you won't be tardy for class too long, but I... <laughs> But I would talk to them, and just and they loved just hearing a calming voice. And I think that's so important that sometimes we don't even know how to talk sometimes without yelling and screaming. I mean, look at turn on the news. You can't even watch a newscast anymore, any channel that you may or may not like, without people yelling at each other. So, well, it is very frustrating, especially with the little ones. And and I know you know when we're under such pressure to get to work, get there on time, do this, do that, and the kids feel that pressure. You know, they start to say, hey, I want some attention too. Well, that attention sometimes, you know, is, is negative or ineffective behaviors, as one of my friends used to say. And that just is very frustrating, which leads to the parent losing it. And it's a no-win situation. And I, and I would love, you know, to not have the yelling. And, uh, but it's frustrating. I mean, it's easier as a grandparent because I can just sort of, yeah. I, I back off a little, take a, breath, take a breath as a grandparent. But as a parent, yeah. I'm like, I totally... I, I really, I guess I'm empathizing with my with my grown-up kids. I was like, well, payback's a real, mm-mm, you know. Uh, <laughs> so do you have tips for dads that get frustrated and, you know, the problem is we've got the neighbors listening. You know, you've got the world listening right. and watching you as a parent and judging you as a parent. And that's that's pressure alone. So what are your tips for, for single parents just kind of, Set boundaries. Take a take a breath. Walk away. What do you do? Yeah, I think that, that first of all is that you decide in your no matter what how hard it is that we're not going to yell. Uh, it's very difficult not to do that. But my friend, like I said, Celia Kibler, she has has tips on that on her website how to do that. And uh, she, you know, basically, I think if you if you make that first determination uh, not to yell, then it's going to that's going to be a start. It's, you know, we're going to, going to come out of the gate somehow, right? So if we come out of the gate yelling all the time, it's not uh, always the best. So if we think, okay, I can't yell, I'm not going to yell. <laughs> and uh, if you do, sometimes this is really hard, apologize, okay? Not sometimes apologize. You know, a lot of times we have to apologize, even as parents. And I, I would tell parents that sometimes I'll say, you know, you maybe have to apologize. What? Apologize to my child? Yes, apologize to your child. I just think I wrote in that book, uh, uh, Daily Connections, uh, that journal. I, I remember on page, um, uh, I think it was day 18, we talked about love connection and how love always always wins. You know, um, Yelling doesn't always win. And if you if you find yourself doing all that time, maybe it's not the child's fault. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. if we look in the mirror sometimes, you know, I, I teach dads about take that mirror test. Look in the mirror and breathe on it. If it gets foggy, that means you're alive. And if you're alive, that means there's hope to change. <laughs> so, like um, you know, there's an old Swedish proverb that says, love me when I least deserve it because that's when I need it the most. So if you feel like, I'm going to yell at my child, love them a little different and see if that helps you know, regarding the, I mean, uh, the, in regards to outcome. Maybe that will help. Maybe if you love them a little bit more and yell less, that outcome may be a little bit different. So in whatever, whatever stage of, your, your, of life your child is going through, love has to reign because if you teach them love, they're going to teach 
their children love. And that's your grandchildren we're talking about. So do you want grandchildren to wind up yelling? <laughs> I'm thinking about your book. Oh, your book, actually. I, uh, I, I've heard it said that, you know, a smile can change the outcome of a situation. So <clears throat> I, might, I might just smile at them and say, I, I understand. I've had a child, you know, myself or whatever. I remember, or I remember, I've told dads, I said, oh, I remember when, when, when my daughter was that age and how frustrating it could be sometimes. And, and they may even get in a conversation with you. Now, so the significance of Studio 425, that's your podcast, or you mentioned that that was your pop's or your grandpa's address? Yes, uh, I, I do these podcasts, I do live uh, video feeds, I do um, audio feeds, but then um, I, I, I was looking for a studio, I created a studio at the house, and, and I was looking for a name for it, and I said, well, a studio has to have a name, let's see, what am I going to call this? And I remember walking away from my grandparents' house the last day after selling their, pro- their property. I walked around and I felt compelled. And I just felt like it was the Lord's umption to turn around and I looked up at his address. It's an address that he made, and it's actually in my blog. There's a picture of that. And uh, I said, okay, so I'll take that, took it home, put it in my, my what I call my vintage collection. And I, I kept looking at it, and then when I decided I wanted to call a studio or a name studio, I said, I just felt led to call it Studio 425. And the reason is because I never want to talk. I never want to tell you know tell stories or, or lies out of my studio. I want things to be authentic and 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 truthful and 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 heartfelt stories and just talk about life and that kind of thing. And that's what my grandpa was. When remember I told you I he never really came to me, but I never really went to him. But he didn't know how. He's he's dealing with three children that have passed mm-hmm. at that point after my dad died. So and he was already aged himself, you know. So I said, Well I'll just call it in honor of my grandfather, I'm gonna call it Studio four twenty five because I never wanted I wanted everything to be truthful, I wanted to be transparent, I wanted to be regardless of what you know, uh, regardless of where you come from in life, you're still important and uh you know, that's the way my grandfather thought of, of people. So that's why we call it Studio 425. And the story is on my blog, on my website. So, Well, and that's at keithjowers.com, which I've got some incredible pictures there, too, which leads us into your acting thing. But the one thing I want to say about your, the grandfather influence is many of us are grandparent age and realize that, need to realize that what we do, what we say, how we treat our children and our grandchildren will it'll be important for, for many, many generations. I really try to stress, and my daughter's really good about this. She goes, you know, Mom, especially when we're talking to the girls, make them feel valued for their minds, you know, for their accomplishments, not for just being pretty, but being smart and, you know, you're valued for, for the things that you, you know, your kindness and for your intellect, for those kinds of things, and not just the out, outer things. And, and that's, that's coming around, I think. Um, there might be a, I can't say a generational thing, but I've seen as we go forward, we're, I guess I'm rambling here, but I'm trying to realize that there was a, real, there was a great movie about the, the southern families that were raised by their, by their maids. 
and the one, what was the name of that show? Shoot, someone's going to come up with it. Where the little girl, the, the nanny or the maid would get that, get in front of this little girl every morning and say, you're valued, you're, you're smart, you're, you know, all these great things, not just physical. And we need to do that. We need to make sure that our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren know that they're valued for their minds, they're valued for their integrity, their honesty. And those values are just getting shoved out the door, you know. Yes, and they are. Yes, so they is that are. a part of your program too? Is is the are there core values that you're trying to teach these dads? Um, if if I get in a conversation with one and start talking about things like that, I will do that, Debbie. I I talk about legacy a lot and the legacy we're leaving. So do you want to leave a legacy of shouting and yelling at your kids all the time? No. <laughs> you know, um, we're supposed to leave things the better than we found it, whether it's, <laughs> yeah, now I know this is silly, but, you know, whether it's, a, you know, the, the, the world you're living in or whatever, you know, you want to leave it better for your grandchildren than, than how you found it, so to speak. Or whether it's like me pushing a buggy back into a cart so you don't leave it out in the middle of the parking lot at a grocery store, you know. I mean, that's leaving it better than you did. Uh, those silly, those smallest things. We have a sign in our kitchen that says, the smallest things take the biggest place in your heart. So when you're going to leave a leg, I'm not talking about money. I, I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about the smallest things, like little things that, the stories that you could tell your kids about how you grew up or your grandparents and don't even know nothing about their grandparents because there's frictions between the parents, their parents, and their parents. So they're not going to tell stories about their grandparents or whatever. So that's why legacy, family legacies are important. Um, so you should leave it better than you found it. And I just believe that's that's so important, um, and, and that teaches values sometimes when you're talking about your legacy and all that stuff. You're teaching values, and um, so anyway, I, I just believe that when you go through things, tough times in your life, regardless of what it is, whether it's you know, sin, things that you've overcome, or whatever it is, make that better for yourself to where you can make it better for somebody else, because you never know who you're going to come into. You don't come and you will come across somebody someday that has the same issue you have, but you well, work through it, so now help them work through it. Mm -hmm. That's the whole reason behind this show: stand up and speak up. It's because someone that's has right. been through something that they feel that they're alone, and if they knew that there was someone out there that had had gone through the same thing, they could reach out. They would realize, like, I'm not alone in this now, and then they would have the courage to step up and stand up and you know move forward again, and so. You've done that in so many great ways, and, and I, you know, I, I know our time is flying by, and, and I love what you're doing. I, lo I just like your demeanor, Keith. It's just so, for me, it's very calming, and, and that's, I can see you as, I'm looking at your picture as the resource officer, just, and it's the officer friendly. So, folks, if you want a really fun, kind book for children or grandchildren, go, I think it's on Amazon, I found it there, uh, go to the officer friendly stories, look up Keith Jowers and his books. Um, I'm not pitching them, but I, I I just find that they're just they they need to be out there in our in our families' lives, in our kids' lives, so they can see them. Um, and Keith, you you're doing so many neat things, but this is kind of an an interesting hit, a tip that you or a switch in your life, a pivot in your life now, 
Now you're doing some of this acting. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing with acting now. And film studios, how Well, cool first of all, the acting thing came, I can't, I don't really know how it all came about, to be honest with you, other than originally I had, uh, for years, for about 30 years, I'd done some stage work at church and, and uh, then when I was a school resource officer, what's really neat about that is, um, Debbie, that kids wanted to do some, some drama there. Well, you have to have a drama coach. Well, no teacher seemed to have enough time to be a drama coach, so guess who the kids suggested do it? <laughs> Me. <laughs> so I did. I became the drama coach, and we did Broadway plays and stuff like that. So um, I've had a lot of stage experience, but not film. So I've done the one-officer-friendly movie here a while back. And then um, I said, well, let me just look into it because I'm retired now so or semi-retired, so I should be able to find something out there. And I did. And the first – actually, the first audition I went to, I got. <laughs> and I said, well, really? It can't be this easy. So sure enough, uh, that production has not been made yet. It was all burned right when COVID started and all, and it's been ups and downs with it. So I said, well, I'm not going to stop and wait on these folks. So I just went on and did some other things. And sure enough, I I, um, I don't know. I just started getting auditions and, and did some, some things. And, and I just opened myself up uh, to being uh, 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 more of an extra, you know, background, no lines, that kind of thing, just being open. And sometimes when you – just be open without trying to do anything great. Sometimes I think the Lord opens up doors for you, and that's what happened. Uh, I got to meet some great actors and actresses. Um, so here I am, actually pursuing that more and more as I'm retired, which is, is it's helping dads for life too, because they want to know more about that. So you know, and you just never know who you're going to come across and who you're going to meet. And and when you do, when you do things for the right reasons and not to try to, you know, I guess, uh, throw yourself out there. The Lord opens up some doors for you, I think, sometimes. And and it just kind of go into it. So I became part of a couple of studios now. And uh, we've got, we've, we just filmed our first movie called Camp Hideout, which will be out next summer. And guess what part I played? I played a policeman. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I get to arrest the bad guys. So <laughs> anyway, so well, it's, it's a family inspirational film called Camp Hideout, and it'll be out next summer. So <laughs> it's fun. I'm looking at the pictures on on that website, keithjowers.com, and it's it's it is the acting pictures. But I I'm seeing Law and Order or you know Chicago Med or something like that. All these it's really it's really <laughs> fun to see. And the important thing is is yeah. that at our age though we can reinvent. We can we can say yes to things that. You know, someone would say, oh, that's silly. Why should you do that? Don't listen to the naysayers. Just do it. And, uh, and it's funny. You know, and, and I watch TV's uh, shows or I watch movies a little differently now because I know how, how much time goes into a certain scene. I really do. And uh, so, you know, I, I just I think it's so important. We're, we're only living once, Debbie. <laughs> and then, uh, then when we die, we're... We'll, we'll live on somewhere, you know, but I'm talking about in the way of, you know, having faith going through life and just knowing that things are going to turn out all right. We, everything we're seeing today in our, you know, in our trouble in, in our country and our world, 
it's nothing new under the sun, okay? We've had trouble under the, you know, in, in our world, in our country before. So we take each day at a time, we have our values, and we keep moving forward. And God's going to work out everything. But, you know, sometimes you realize, well, I'm old enough to retire now. Maybe I need to do something else. And I found mine in acting. <laughs> so, <laughs> And the ministry, Dads for Life, by the way. So, Well, it's fabulous. And, and I, I want to thank you for all that you're doing for the Dads for Life. And it's dadsforlife.com. There's some great information there. The books that you've written, go to amazon.com. Look under Keith Jowers. And it's the officer-friendly and the daily connections. You've done some terrific things, Keith, but you're just such a kind man. And that's what I think drew me to you when we were at the, uh, at the book signing, that you and your wife, you've been married for quite a, quite a few years. Congratulations on that. 35 and years next year. So There you go. And uh, she's a sweet, sweet woman. And so just thank you so much for how you're presenting yourself to the world and, and calming and providing good things for dads and moms, single moms, because it's, it's a tough thing. And uh, I think whatever we can do as parents and grandparents to, to be there for our children, especially if they're in the single parent realm or as an aunt or an uncle, um, it's, it's all about the family and, and being there for each other. And I love, you know, I'm going to look up your, your friend's book about the not yelling. And uh, it starts with us and what we can emulate to our children you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pass down to the grandkids and just go out and give them hugs. Just give them a hug. Hugs better than screaming at them. So, it, it is. And, um, you know, I, I think that if we really look at what the root of the problems are that we have, you know, then do we really have any problems? Sometimes it's us. I listened to a show recently and I, I said, wow, they were talking about uh, what the enemy is. Uh, told the lady, just fight the real enemy, you know, <laughs> and we got to find out what the real enemy is in our lives sometimes. Sometimes it's up. We just don't want to, uh, we just don't want to uh, admit it sometimes. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, I, I just appreciate the opportunity in times to maybe encourage someone, you know, especially a, um, a, a dad, because dads are important, but so are moms. Uh, it's better when we work together, regardless of the situation. But uh, I think that um, you know, life is too short not to try. Absolutely. And your kids will be grateful in the end, and the grandkids. So thank you, Keith Jowers. I so appreciate you being here. We're going to close off this show, and it's been a wonderful Stand Up and Speak Up. So thanks very much, everybody. Have a great week, and happy holidays. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Debbie. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and being your best self. If you've been a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, please make a small donation to help the victims around the world receive the help that they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfoteaming products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thanks everybody for being here with us today. Go to my website, thewomanbehindthesmile.com, for additional information and resources. Check out my YouTube channel and subscribe. 
and follow the replays of all of our great guests. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks very much for being here.